Welcome to another edition of Northwestern Outdoors Radio, the award-winning show covering fishing, hunting, conservation, destinations, and other outdoors recreation across the greater Northwest. Northwestern Outdoors is brought to you by Max Lur, Sportsman's Warehouse, Sina Sea Seafood, and Wallowa County Chamber of Commerce in the Northern Pike Minnow Sport Reward Fishery Program. And now, let's see what's happening this week with your host, John Cruz. Welcome to your Memorial Day weekend, the unofficial start of summer and the camping season and the boating season. And I would venture to guess there are quite a few of you tuning in today who are listening either from a boat or from the campground, and I wish I was there with you. This week on the show, we've got some very interesting topics and some great guests. When it comes to camping, you might want to consider heading to Wyoming. Now, most folks, when they think of camping in Wyoming, they think of the national parks, but Wyoming's got 25 state parks, too. Several are great for camping and fishing, and not just for trout fishing, either. We're going to talk to Gary Shaney with Wyoming State Parks. It's about these places to visit, as well as some historical state parks that are definitely worth a visit, too. Another guest we'll talk to today is Edward Elazar. He's with the Washington Department of Fish and Wildlife, and the topic is going to be the severe curtailment of salmon and steelhead fishing on several Puget Sound area rivers. It has a lot of anglers feeling frustrated because we are seeing some of the better returns into Puget Sound for salmon than we have in a long time. Not to mention the fact that it's a pink salmon year and you may not get much of a chance to fish on several rivers for pink salmon despite their abundant return. Bob Loomis is back for another extended Max Minute that we really should just call the two-minute drill at this point. And this week he's going to try to help you catch some of those post-spawn walleye. It's a tricky time of year to catch those good-eaten fish, but he's got some suggestions that will help you out. And then there's the historic French Glen Hotel. It's located in southeast Oregon in the very remote community of French Glen, which has a population of, oh, last I checked, 10 or 11 people. And the hotel there, built in 1917, is actually operated by Oregon State Parks. It's a fabulous destination to go to. I've been there myself. Number one, you go back in time when you get there. No TVs, no cell phones. Just you and your fellow travelers who get together in the dining room for some great meals and socialize out on the sun porch in the evening. There's plenty to do during the day, though, whether you're visiting Malheur National Wildlife Refuge, fishing the Donner or Blitzen Rivers, or maybe taking in the views at Steens Mountain, which are absolutely incredible. Getting back to the hotel, though, Oregon State Parks is looking for somebody to operate it. The former operator has retired after a long career there. And if you've got some restaurant and hotel management experience, this could be the dream job for you. We'll tell you more about it when we talk to Stephanie Knowlton with Oregon State Parks. Before we get to all this, though, let's find out what David Sparks has for you this week on Sportsman Spotlight. Identifying a fly hatch, David Sparks, Sportsman Spotlight. I recently talked with my good friend Mark Roby, who went out fly fishing on the Oahe River, and there was just one of those big, huge mayfly hatches. Mark reported that the water was just swarming with a carpet of mayflies, and the fish were rising like crazy. Now, you can't be all things to all people, and I have to confess that if I ended up with a fly rod in my hand on a river unknown to me, and I saw swarms and swarms of bugs dancing around on top of the surface and being hit by all kinds of fish, I wouldn't necessarily know that it was a mayfly hatch or whatever else. 
A conundrum for sure. Most people, unless you're real familiar with them, there's little cards that have the uh, different insect descriptions on them and also little pictures that go along with them. There's a little pocket thing that you can carry. And that's the quickest way and without spending a lot of time studying entomology. That makes sense. When you're fly fishing, you're looking for something that's similar to the shape of that bug. All it has to be is similar. If you've interdyed the bug and you've got a pretty good match, but the other thing is matching size is more critical than anything else. If you're too big, the fish are not going to target it because it doesn't look like anything natural to them at that point because it doesn't match what they're feeding on. So size is more critical than actually matching the hatch as much as anything else. Strategy and knowledge, so important to be a successful angler. It's been popping up in orchards and vineyards all over. Any origin theories, callers? Oh, hey, yeah, it's Sevia fungicide from BASF, a category leader in disease control. How do you explain these healthy crops? Well, longer-lasting residual. Plus, it's built for current regulatory standards and prepared for what's to come, which improves crop marketing flexibility, so... A fungicide that is out of this world? I knew it. Sevia fungicide from BASF. Or is it... Always read and follow link directions. BearSerialExperts.com presents from the desk of an expert. Hi, this is Ann in North Dakota. I've been having a heck of a time with kochia in my spring wheat, and I'm starting to see some other weeds. Yes, kochia was a real problem last year due to drought. You may also be seeing other pigweeds emerging in your field, such as Palmer amaranth. Thus, it's important to use a broad-spectrum herbicide. I've seen water hemp, but Palmer in the northern plains? Unfortunately, it's an emerging threat. There's a great video on SerialExperts.com that goes into more detail. Sure hope you outdoorsmen have enjoyed this episode of Sportsman Spotlight. Located in the northeast corner of Oregon, Wallawa County offers a unique destination rich in natural beauty and outdoors recreation. Enjoy the clear waters of Wallawa Lake. Take a tram to the top of Mount Howard for million-dollar views. Hike or ride into the Eagle Cap Wilderness and fish or raft the Wallawa and Grand Ronde Rivers. It's all waiting for you in beautiful Wallawa County. Plan your visit today at WallawaCountyChamber.com. That's WallawaCountyChamber.com. Backcountry Hunters and Anglers is the voice for your public lands, waters, and wildlife. Find out how you can get involved at backcountryhunters.org. Bad news coming out of the Puget Sound region for salmon and steelhead anglers. The Washington Department of Fish and Wildlife has got some new regulations that are severely limiting opportunities this summer and fall for both salmon and steelhead. The seasons are going to essentially look like this. The Skykomish River Hatchery Summer Chinook and Steelhead Fishery is opening up just on May 27th, 28th, 29th, Memorial Day weekend from the mouth of the sky upstream to the Wallace River. Fishing for hatchery steelhead returning to the Ryder Pond Hatchery is going to open up on May 27th, go through January 31st, but only from the Highway 2 Bridge at Gold Bar to the North Fork and South Fork of the Skykomish Rivers near Index. And then the fisheries for coho and pink salmon are only proposed in the Snohomish and Wallace Rivers during September and October. The Snoqualmie River will be closed below the falls. The Skykomish River will not be open either. This is definitely a big change. And with us here to go ahead and try to explain this to us is Edward Eliezer. He is the Puget Sound Fish Program Manager for the Washington Department of Fish and Wildlife. Edward, welcome to the show. 
Glad to be here. What is going on here? You know, according to, to Andy Walgman at Northwest Sports Magazine, the forecast in the sound is that we've got like the best return of Chinook salmon since 2019, and yet we're seeing some of the, the worst opportunity we've seen in quite a while. Uh, there's a couple things going on there, but he's right. We have some of the best returns, especially on Hatchery Chinook coming into the Snohomish system. So this is a pretty bitter pill to swallow. But what we're grappling with is similar to what we've been struggling with with the last few years, like in the Stillaguamish. We have wild Chinook populations that are doing really poorly due to degraded habitat conditions. And we find that in the Snohomish system as well. We have two populations there. We have one wild Skykomish population and a wild population on the Snoqualmie. And the Chinook on the Snoqualmie fell into a category where they're up below what we call a low abundance threshold. And so they're really struggling. And so we had to put conservation measures in place in the river to protect that stock. This interview is just an excerpt of a longer conversation we had with Edward. If you want to catch that one, tune into our other show next week, Northwestern Outdoors Radio, or wait a few days after that and look for Northwestern Outdoors Radio as a podcast, and you can hear the entire conversation there. So here's a question. When it comes to Columbia and Snake Rivers, everyone points the dams as the issue. What is the primary issue on the Snohomish River system, and this is the Snoqualmie River system, and what's WDFW and other organizations trying to do to fix it? Yeah, that's a really good question. From my understanding of the Snohomish system, like you said, it doesn't have any dams per se, but the habitat is very degraded. And so as a system as a whole, it's not functional. And so on the Snoqualmie especially, with all the human development there and practices from the past, we just haven't seen a, a habitat healthy enough to support these wild populations. So in the past decade or so, we've been putting together lots of different restoration projects to help bolster that habitat. But with habitat restoration, it's going to take years for us to kind of recover those habitats to support viable and abundant wild Chinook populations. What have we as humans done to specifically degrade the habitat in these river systems in Puget Sound? The big drivers is like, I think about like riprap, where we armor rivers so we could have homes near estuaries and riparian areas. And so that basically kind of straightens the river, causing greater velocity and, and less opportunity for, say, like wood and other different pieces of of habitat to form that complexity that salmon need to survive. And so like a lack of wood, lack of like beavers, the, the ecosystem's out of balance. Very interesting. And, and I guess, you know, looking back 40 years, why, why were these practices allowed? It's not like the science has changed all that much. I'm sure biologists even back then were aware that, you know, building riprap and taking out wood and all that was not healthy for the, the salmon and steelhead in either river system. Why did it happen? And again, you know, this is like looking 30, 40 years back. It's not on you. I'm just curious. Yeah, and it's not just 30 or 40 years back. You know, I think about like 100 years ago in 1900, they called the Fish and Wildlife Commission called the Fish Crisis. 
on the Green River at Seuss Creek due to the crashing salmon populations from canneries and the straightening of like the Cedar River and the removal of the Black River. And so there's just been massive changes to our ecosystem due to this massive growth. And so it's the legacy effect of how we change the landscape as humans. That's really kind of where we're feeling those legacy effects. And I just think about like right now, currently, we just have this degraded habitat. And on top of that, we have uh, more and more human growth. And so more people are going out there to go fishing, um, which puts extra pressure on those wild stocks. Here's another question for you. I know there's mortality associated with catch release fishing. Depending on who you ask, that mortality is going to look very different. Why don't we do like a barbless hook regulation and have must release all wild Chinook, but you can still go pink salmon fishing? This rule that pink salmon doesn't even open up until September 15th on the Snohomish when humpies are ready to spawn or, or spawned out doesn't make a whole sense. Yeah, this is, this is a troubling one for us. The Chinook that come into the Snoqualmie system are fall Chinook, and right. so they're coming into the system like in that September time frame, mid-August to mid-September to come into spawn. And that's right when pinks are going to be in the Snohomish system. And so that that's the challenge, is how do we fish on pinks without impacting the Snoqualmie Falls? And that's one thing that we've heard pretty loud and clear um, since these regulations changed. And what we're looking at is, is curtailing those initial three-day openers and maybe saving some of those Chinook impacts for later on in the season so we could have, at a minimum, three-day openers like around Labor Day and maybe the weekend before that or after that so we can get on some of that really abundant pink opportunity that, you know, thousands of people want to fish on. Well, and as you know, you know, pink salmon is like the great introduction to salmon fishing because they're dirty catch. They are going to be very abundant this year like they have in, in many past years, and they're just fun to go after. But again, getting back to the whole catch and release issue and mortality, I guess I should ask, what does WDFW consider the mortality rate to be for Chinook salmon using barbless hooks? 10% is what we use across the board, and we use that on the Skagit uh, for steelhead as well. Way more than the Canadians figure. And we recognize that it's a pretty conservative number. Uh, what we don't have is like the science that tells us what that mortality rate should be specifically in the Skagit, what that should be specifically in the Snohomish, what that rate should be like in the estuary or lower river versus upriver barbless hooks versus barbed hooks. And so all those different things come into play. And so we use that 10% rate to be on the side of uh, conservation. Um, so we know we're not doing more harm because the one thing that folks forget is we're fishing on listed species on both the steelhead and the Chinook front. I've got to tell you that that 10% figure, that's an increase over past years. It used to be 7%. I know in past years, Canada has estimated 3 to 5% mortality with barbless hooks on salmon. It's an extremely high number. Is there any other state that has as high of a number as Washington in terms of figuring out what the mortality is? Because this is not only conservative, it's extreme. That's a really good point. And, and I haven't 
looked into other states and what their rates are, and that's um, something that we can look at into the future, especially as these fisheries start becoming more constrained as we put conservation measures in place for these species. All right. I have so many more questions, but I'm afraid we're going to have to leave it at that because we are out of time. But thanks for shedding some light on what's going on in the Snoqualmie and Snohomish River systems. And might have to have you on again to talk more about this in the future on Northwestern Outdoors Radio. My pleasure. Sportsman's Warehouse is America's premier outfitter, full of the gear you need to succeed this hunting season. Firearms, ammo, archery equipment, decoys, clothing, boots, and more. Find a location near you or shop online today at sportsmans.com. Welcome back to Northwestern Outdoors Radio and to an extended Max Minute, brought to you by Max Lur. Yes, it is indeed time for another edition of the Max Two Minute Drill. And with us again is Bob Loomis. Bob, great to have you back. Thank you, John. We talk a lot about walleye fishing because Max Lure makes a lot of lures for walleye fishing, but we're coming into that tricky time of year. The spawn is ending. Where? Do you find those fish post-spawn, and how do you catch them? Well, you know, John, this time of the year, it, you're right. It, it, it's a little a little difficult. You're starting to get into those smaller males are out foraging. They're out running around. Those are predominantly the ones that are going to bite the most. You're trying to trigger those bigger fish, those larger females that are just coming out of spawn. You know, they're kind of licking their wounds and, and getting over the whole spawning period. One of the things that I like fishing this time of the year is I like fishing a crawler harness setup, not a slow death setup, not, you know, something that that imparts movement on it like the spin drift. So I like fishing crawler harness type setups this time of the year because of the fact that I can mimic the forage base. The colors that we put together on a lot of products are basically set up towards forage base areas and fisheries. So you take something that is that forage base, slow it down, and create a little bit of movement. And one of the things that I really like to fish is the double whammy walleye. The double whammy walleye is a crawler harness setup with high UV beads and a smile blade on top. And that setup seems to work really well this time of the year to really trigger fish on both sides. Those males that are out foraging and getting out of the spawn, as well as the females that are just starting to get out and start doing a little bit of feeding. So that crawler harness setup, to me, works very, very well this time of the year. All right. Well, get yourself a bottom bouncer and tie on a Max Double Whammy. It's a classic that's been around a long time, and the reason why it's been around is because it catches a lot of fish. Look for the Double Whammy at sporting goods stores near you or online at maxlure.com.
Sportsman's Warehouse is America's premier outfitter and has what you need as a hunter, angler, hiker, paddler, camper, and outdoors enthusiast. They also carry an extensive assortment of firearms and ammunition you simply can't find anymore at many big box stores. On top of that, their knowledgeable staff is here to help you purchase the right gear so you can get the most out of your outdoor experience. Visit your local Sportsman's Warehouse store today or shop online anytime at sportsmans.com. We're back in with Northwestern Outdoors Radio. Our next stop is in southeastern Oregon. We're talking to Stephanie Knowlton. She's a public information officer for Oregon State Parks about a very unique opportunity to run one of their hotels, which is a state park, the French Glen Hotel. Stephanie, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Happy to be here. Well, I'll tell you what, I got to go to the French Glen Hotel about 13 years ago with my son, and it was one of the most unique and enjoyable experiences I ever had. And folks, if you're not aware, French Glen Hotel it is in the middle of nowhere. It's like 60 miles south of Burns and about 100 miles from anywhere else. And the population of French Glen is only 11. In the summer, you got some BLM fire crews that are there. But this old hotel was built in 1917 to actually house stagecoach travelers and people visiting the ranches that were here established by Peter French. So Stephanie, I know you haven't had a chance to go to French Glen Hotel yet, but I've got to tell you, uh, this is a really unique property in that it has, I believe, eight rooms, uh, all shared baths, and then you've got the downstairs where there's breakfast, lunch, and dinner served. you got a screen sun porch out front, and you just socialize with fellow travelers and just use as a base camp to explore the surrounding area and there's a lot to explore. Stephanie, question for you. Have you had a chance yet to go to Southeast Oregon? I've done a little exploring. That's the beauty of working for Oregon State Parks. There's so many amazing landscapes to explore and so I've been out south but not that stretch yet. It's on my short list of places to experience because it really does capture the imagination. Everybody I've talked to about this hotel and this opportunity there, they have to pause and take a minute and they're like, hmm, is this something that I can do? Because it is, it sounds so lovely to get away from it all and it's such a beautiful landscape out there. Oh, it is absolutely beautiful. I mean, you've got the Malheur National Wildlife Refuge. It's literally across the road. Uh, you got trout fishing in the Donner and Blitzen River. You've got history there from the Old West with the Peter French Round Barn, and then you've got Steens Mountain, which is absolutely beautiful, wow. some of the most breathtaking sights you'll ever see, and you probably will run into some wild horses along the way, too. Oh, so, wow. Yeah, just tons to do there, Stephanie. So let's talk a little bit about this opportunity to actually run this hotel, the French Glen Hotel. Yeah, absolutely. There was a longtime concessionaire who ran it for many decades. And in the course of running it, he also added four additional rooms. There's now an adjacent um, property on the historic property called uh, Drover's Inn and added an additional four rooms. And those ones have private bathrooms. So if somebody wants a slight modern upgrade to the experience, they can still be in that environment, but also have indoor plumbing in their room. So that is also an option. And he also added a residence on the property. So there's three buildings on the historic property now. 
And so, yes. And so we're looking for after his well-deserved retirement, we're looking for somebody to take on this business opportunity. And business is booming. This is a good, this is a good little investment. And so I was looking at some of the numbers that I can share. Last year, the business reported more than 400000 in revenue. And so it's a sweet little business for somebody who's looking to kind of get away from it all and to run the property, the, the historic hotel, Jover's Inn, and then the restaurant there on the property. Now, I understand that, again, you're operating this as a concessionaire. You are not an employee, per se. You're not being hired by uh, Oregon State Parks. You are literally leasing this and running it as a concession. Yeah, so it would be their business. Gotcha. So they're running it. I think if you're running this property, you would probably have to hire a person or two to help run the hotel and the restaurant. And so you're the one who who's paying all the bills and making all of the revenue. And so you're able to run this business as your own. Now, there are some minimum requirements. Why don't you go ahead and explain what those are? Yeah, a few of the requirements, uh, three years business background and experience in restaurants or hotels. And then also designated business as S-corporation or limited liability corporation to meet the land lease requirements. Management experience, I mentioned that you would likely need to add an employee or two to help with the restaurant and hotel. And then the fourth thing is just we were interested and not a requirement, but it would be cool to have somebody come in who had some kind of like digital marketing savvy and to take the business into the modern world a bit. We are currently taking reservations last concessionaire took all of the reservations via telephone. So right. <laughs> now we're looking at having a digital upgrade and seeing if we can bring the business online with digital reservations. Gotcha. So when somebody applies, they're not turning in a resume per se. They're actually turning in a proposal that includes their background and how they would plan on operating. Is that correct? That is correct. Okay. And folks, the deadline for this is coming up quick. It's 2 p.m. June 2nd. You'll want to submit your proposals to Winona Butler at oprd.oregon.gov, or you can just, is this press release on the Oregon State Parks website so folks can get more information? It is. That's a great question. And so if you want to see a little bit more about this opportunity and then also get links to the Oregon Buys page, so you can turn it in digitally through Oregon Buys, or you can also submit it to Winona Butler. And just as a note, Winona Butler, there's a period between Winona and Butler in that email address that you just shared. So if somebody is going to send something to Winona, you want to do Winona, W-I-N-O-N-A dot Butler, B-U-T-L-E-R at O-P-R-D dot Oregon dot gov. And then if you want to see all of the information, it's stateparks.oregon.gov. And there's a feature story, the first one on the web page that goes more in detail and then the links to learn more about how to apply. All right. Well, folks, I, I will tell you this. You got to be somebody who's comfortable with yourself because, again, with a population of 10 or 11 people, you don't exactly have a lot of neighbors, and there's not a whole lot in terms of amenities. There's a small store and gas station, as I recall, in town, and then you would be operating the only restaurant and hotel, and that's about it, except for a couple of houses and the, the Bureau of Land Management fire station that's manned in the summer. Other than that, you're kind of on your own, unless you want to make a 60-mile trip to Burns, which you probably would on a cage. One other question. Does this operate year-round, or is it a seasonal operation? 
It's a great question. Uh, the business actually runs uh, seasonally. So it's March 15th through October. So it leaves some time to, in your schedule for some quieter pursuits during the off season. You'll probably be doing some working, some maintenance and whatnot, but it also gives you kind of time in your schedule, a little bit of room to rest and relax. Absolutely. Sounds like a trip to Mexico to me. So, okay, folks, you definitely will get some off time. You're just going to be really busy right before the season starts and right after it ends and, and during the season itself. But yes, you will have some time for yourself. And that's something that's great, too. At any rate, wonderful opportunity if you are comfortable in your own skin and you love the outdoors and you love being in a remote Western setting to have a concession. And with, with any luck, you'll be able to operate for years as well and make new friends and have some great adventures. Stephanie, thanks so much for sharing this with us today on Northwestern Outdoors Radio. Thank you, John, for having me. I really appreciate it. This portion of the show is brought to you by our friends at Cena Sea Seafood. That's a family-run company that catches wild-caught Alaskan fish and delivers it in meal-sized portions right to your door. And right now is the time to order Copper River Salmon. We are talking king salmon, and we are talking that delicious sockeye salmon that is considered some of the best salmon, if not the best salmon, you can get in the entire world. And it is so full of omega-3 acids, very good for you, very healthy. And if you are looking for the best salmon around, this is the salmon for you. So go to cenasea.com. That's the website to go to, S-E-N-A-S-E-A, cenasea.com. And use the promo code OUTDOORSRADIO for 10% off your entire order. Come to Oregon's Wallowa County for outdoors adventure. Hike, ride, paddle, fish, or sightsee to your heart's content. And then visit one of our wonderful towns, whether it be Joseph with its beautiful bronze statues, our county seat in Enterprise, or one of our charming small towns like Wallowa, Imnaha, or Troy, where you can eat, shop, and sleep before continuing your adventure the next day. Plan your visit now at WallowaCountyChamber.com. That's WallowaCountyChamber.com. Anglers are getting a raise this year with the Northern Pike Minnow Sport Reward Fishery Program, and the fish are biting. Here's how it works. First, register at a pike minnow station along the Columbia or Snake River. Next, go fishing for pike minnow and bring back all of them that measure 9 inches or longer. The fish are worth 6 8 or $10, and the more fish you catch, the more each one is worth. Keep an eye out for tagged fish, too, because those are worth 500 bucks. Go fishing, make money, and have fun. Find out more at pikeminnow.org. Welcome back to Northwestern Outdoors Radio. I'm John Cruz. Our next stop is the Cowboy State of Wyoming. It is Memorial Day weekend. A lot of folks are thinking camping. And when you think of Wyoming, you probably think about Yellowstone National Park, Grand Teton National Park, maybe even Devil's Tower in eastern Wyoming. But you probably don't think about the state parks that Wyoming operates. That's why we've got Gary Shaney on the line. He's a public information officer for Wyoming State Parks. Gary, it's great to have you on the show. Thanks. Glad to be here. So how many state parks and historical sites does Wyoming operate? 
We operate 25, and that's not counting unmanned sites like the Piedmont Kilms, Ames Monument, things like that. But in that 25, we have state parks that offer everything from boating, camping, hiking, educational-type things, um, historical-type exhibits and things like that. I'm familiar with some of the historical ones. You have several Old West frontier forts, everywhere from Fort Bridger to Fort Fetterman to Fort Phil Kearney. And you even go further back in time, too, with some of your sites. But you also have something that's relatively recent, a missile site that had an ICBM in it. That's correct. It actually was the launch facility, and it just looks like a ranch house. If you view it off the highway, it's located 30 miles north of Cheyenne, just off exit 39 on I-25. And to see it from the highway, it just looks like a farmhouse. But that's where the, the missileers from Warren Air Force Base would spend their time. They had a full kitchen and, and bedrooms and all that type stuff for them to do their shift. But then there was a capsule that went down underground where the launch mechanisms or the launch panels were, so to speak. And then the the missiles, you know, if you look at it kind of like a wagon wheel, the launch facility was in the middle, and then there were missiles out different areas around Wyoming that that Quebec one kind of maintained and, and had access to. Interesting. I always just assumed that each one of these silos just had one missile. I didn't know that you launched a series of missiles from these sites. Yeah, and actually there's not a missile there at the Quebec one site, or there wasn't. Um, they were all different areas, various mileages away from where the Quebec one stands now. Well, definitely an important part of our Cold War history and definitely worth a visit. I'm going to have to take that one in myself. But again, going back to Memorial Day weekend, Let's talk camping. What are some of the more popular state parks you have that offer camping? Glendo, of course, extremely popular. We get people from Wyoming, Colorado, Nebraska, all over go to Glendo. Guernsey's also very popular. Keyhole up in the northeast part of the state, it'll fill up a number of times this summer. Uh, Boyson in the central part of the state, it's got a, uh, a heavy camping uh, following. So just about everywhere in the state that we have a, a site that offers camp is, is going to see a lot of traffic. You know, I figured for sure you were going to mention Buffalo Bill State Park because of its proximity to Yellowstone. I figured that would get all sorts of spillover from the, from the national park there. It does. It's a good stopping point for a lot of people that are coming through, and it's kind of the gateway to Yellowstone, and it is also very popular. And then, of course, with the dam and the history that's there, for a lot of people heading to Yellowstone, it's a don't-miss type area. You know, I, I couldn't help but notice that a number of those state parks you mentioned just happen to be great walleye fishing spots, too, like Glendo and Boyson. Exactly. Glendo even has a, a couple walleye tournaments. I think Guernsey may also, but yeah, they're all great walleye fisheries. And as I recall, Keyhole also has Northern Pike there, too, doesn't it? Correct. Wow. You see, folks, it's not just about trout in Wyoming. Even though the cutthroat trout is the state fish, there's plenty of other fish to catch as well, and those walleye are particularly tasty. Let's go ahead and talk about some upcoming events that are taking place at Glendo State Park starting this weekend, Memorial Day weekend on Saturday. There's a, a history hike. It begins at 10 a.m. On, on the 27th at Two Moon Shelter. Also, there's another, it's called the Strawberry Moon Night Hike. That's on June 3rd, and that's at 9 p.m. 
p.m. again at the Two Moon Shelter. And then also during Memorial Day weekend, Keyhole is going to have a, uh, they're calling it the kickoff to summer. They've got some events going on there. So there'll be some family-friendly activities about pollinators and organisms and insects and stuff in our environment. And and that takes place May 27th and 28th from 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. both days at the Tatanka Group Shelter. And it's kind of an open house type thing. Just show up when you can and take part in the activities. Well, that sounds absolutely fantastic. And let's fast forward to June 3rd. That would be uh, Wyoming's free fishing day. And folks, this is a great time to visit Wyoming, not only if you're a Wyoming resident, but particularly if you're not a Wyoming resident, to take advantage of this situation. What are a few of the parks that you'd recommend? Not necessarily, we already talked walleye, but what are some of the parks you'd recommend for just family-friendly fishing on free fishing day? Kurt Gowdy, definitely, um, down here in the southeastern part of the state. Glendo, Guernsey, Keyhole, Seminole, which Seminole's just north of uh, Rollins, Hawk Springs, which is in the southeastern corner, kind of near Guernsey. Um, all those places offer great fishing, and I'm sure I've missed one or two of them that I'm going to make a superintendent mad. But, um, yeah, all of our places that offer fishing are, are great fisheries. Getting to the historical sites, we mentioned Quebec one missile facility, but what is your most visited historical site that you have in Wyoming? Because you've really got a lot of interesting ones there. Yeah, one of the, uh, well, Fort Phil Kearney is extremely popular. It's up by Sheridan. South Pass City, a great educational site, and their opening is delayed a little bit this year. They're going to open on Memorial Day weekend instead of May 1st, just because of the amount of snow they got this year, but they will be open Memorial Day weekend. The Wyoming Territorial Prison in Laramie, that has just an amazing history. It uh, housed Butch Cassidy at one time, and it has been a prison. It has been an ag farm run by the university. It has been a tourist attraction. It's uh, just kind of been a lot of different things over the years. Any other places you'd recommend that maybe combine history and fishing too? Medicine Lodge at the State Archaeological Site. It's kind of by Hyattville, and it's got fishing, it's got camping, it's uh, got petroglyphs. It's just a neat place. And back in the prehistorical times, it was kind of the equivalent to what the confluence of I-25 and I-80 is now in Cheyenne, because a lot of migratory routes met and intersected there at that Medicine Lodge area. Fascinating. As you just heard, there might only be 25 state parks and historical sites in Wyoming, but there's a lot of good ones definitely worth visiting. Whether you want to camp, whether you want to fish, whether you want to soak in the rich western history that Wyoming has to offer, it's all waiting for you. And the website to go to is very simple. It is Wyoparks, wyoparks.wyo.gov. That's wyoparks.wyo.gov. Check it out and make plans to go to the Cowboy State and visit some of the wonderful state parks that they have. You'll be richer for the experience. Thank you so much, Gary, for sharing all this with us today on Northwestern Outdoors Radio. Thanks for having me.
Enjoy a meal of wild Alaskan seafood delivered right to your door. Sina Sea offers premium quality wild Alaskan fish and shellfish to include Copper River King and Silver Salmon, Halibut, Black Cod, King Crab, and of course, Copper River Sockeye Salmon. Order it blast frozen or smoked and experience a slice of Alaska for a special meal you won't forget. Buy your seafood now at SinaSea.com. That's S-E-N-A-S-E-A, SinaSea.com. Want to go fishing and make money? You are in luck. This year's Pike Minnow Sport Reward Fishery kicks off May 1st. Just register at a check station and go fishing for 9-inch or longer northern pike minnow within designated waters of the Columbia or Snake River. Then you bring your fish back and collect a voucher good for a cash reward. The more fish you catch, the more they're worth. Catch a pike minnow with a special tag and you've landed 500 bucks. Find out more at pikeminnow.org. That's pikeminnow.org. We love our children. We protect them. We guide them. We prepare them for life in the world. With all that we do from deep in our hearts, we cannot control all things. Life-threatening illnesses and disabilities affect far too many of our children each year. While we cannot change the circumstances, we can make dreams come true. Dreams to provide hope, to provide spiritual healing and strength, to provide moments of happiness and relief in the darkest of times. We can give a glimmer of light and hope in a time of darkness and despair. Join huntofalifetime.org to help make dreams come true. To provide hope for children with life-threatening illnesses and disabilities, Hunt of a Lifetime is a nonprofit organization fulfilling dreams for hunting and fishing trips to youth 21 and under with life-threatening illnesses and disabilities. Visit huntofalifetime.org to learn how you can make a difference. That's huntofalifetime.org. Sportsman's Warehouse is America's premier outfitter with the gear you need for fishing, hunting, camping, paddling, cooking, and just about anything else you can do in the woods or in the water. With over 125 stores across America, there is bound to be a Sportsman's Warehouse near you with not only the gear you need, but also the experts to help you get the most out of the product you purchase. Head down to your local Sportsman's Warehouse today or shop online anytime at sportsmans.com. That's sportsmans.com. Did you know we actually have a sponsorship opportunity available for this show? You can be a sponsor of Northwestern Outdoors Radio, reaching thousands of listeners every week, tuning in to 69 stations in seven states. Contact me through my website at northwesternoutdoors.com and let's get a conversation started. That's northwesternoutdoors.com. Before we go today, we've got time for one last shot of Northwestern Outdoors Radio with your host, John Cruz. Welcome back. It's time for your Sportsman's Warehouse Trivia Question of the Week. And we're going to go back in time a little bit for this one, specifically to May 18, 1980, the day that Mount St. Helens erupted in Washington State. Authorities knew that the mountain was going to erupt, and so they ordered evacuations in the area to include the evacuation of the Mount St. Helens Lodge at Spirit Lake. Well, the caretaker of that lodge decided he was not going to evacuate. He was an 84-year-old man, very cantankerous, made quite a bit of news on television in those days, and he perished immediately when the mountain erupted and the blast absolutely destroyed the lodge and Spirit Lake itself. Here's your question. What was the name of this man who was the caretaker of the Mount St. Helens Lodge Spirit Lake? 
I'll give you a hint. He's actually named after a U.S. president. If you know the answer, you know what to do. Go to our Facebook page, Northwestern Outdoors Radio. Look for the post thread where we've got the question and give us your answer there. If we don't have it posted up by the time you get there, just send us a message on Facebook with that info. Or if you don't do Facebook, and I'm seeing increasingly more people are not doing Facebook, just go to our website at northwesternoutdoors.com and shoot us an email. Let us know the name of the caretaker of the former Mount St. Helens Lodge at Spirit Lake who perished when the volcano erupted. One lucky person who guesses right wins that $25 gift card we give away every week from America's premier outfitter, which does not sell gear to survive volcanoes, but they do sell a lot of gear for fishing and hunting and camping and more. With that in mind, we have got to go, but I hope you are having a wonderful Memorial Day weekend, hopefully doing a little bit of boating or camping. But do take a moment to reflect on those who have served and lost their lives in defense of our nation and its freedoms, and to say a prayer for the families they've left behind. Until next time, do take care, God bless, and make it a point to spend some time outdoors. A few years older, a little more wiser. More of a lover and less of a fighter I married up, settled down Bought a little house just west of town I got kids of my own Man, they mean everything But time is one thing you can't stop No matter how you try you just take a deep breath and you close your eyes And another day goes by And before you know Tomorrow is yesterday Well I'll tag you, you tag me back Let's put pennies on a railroad track Fireflies in a mason jar Hide and seek there you are.